I really want to make happy today uh, in some way, shape, or form. And honestly, I think I'm here because my parents wanted to see my, uh, their grandkids. So, uh, but let's say a prayer and then we'll get started. Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for time we get to come and spend with family and friends, time we get to uh, just share with each other. Lord, as we are brought together by the blood of your Son, uh, a blood that is reconciling all things to you. And Lord, may we be a community uh, that is reconciling all to you. May we live in your mission. In your Son's holy name we pray. Amen. There are some of you here who know what it feels like to be seen as less than human. A place where no one is willing to make eye contact with you or even acknowledge your presence. And because of that, you carry the scars and the pain from being just a little bit different or just being proven that you're not worth listening to. There are some of us who know what it feels like to treat others as less than human. We may not want to admit it or we may not want to say that we've done it, but we have excluded. We have not been willing to make eye contact with others. And by just doing that, we're acknowledging to that person where they stand in the pecking order of life. And because of that, we have been both judge and judged. We have excluded and been excluded. This week's text from Matthew 7 pulls back the curtain on this. It reveals how we see the world and how we see each other. And in fact, this has been a long journey for me uh, because last January, our preacher and I uh, began to work through the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, This became part of uh, a teaching series that happened, but in that, him and I just walked through it. And when we got to this section of text, it was amazing how uh, it just sat with me. It haunted me. It, it kind of made me squirm in my seat. And I couldn't quite put my finger on it, except for when we did read it, uh, I, became, I, was, I was cynical about it. Uh, and that could be because being in uh, congregations long enough, I know what we try to sometimes do with this text. We either ignore it and we rush by it really fast, or we're really good at creating loopholes and rationales uh, to get our way around it. And and that could be it. But every time we get to it, I seem to be a little bit cynical. But the thing about this text is it always shows up. It's not going anywhere. You can't white it out. You can't cross it out. It's there. And within this, Jesus is calling us to this new way of being in the world. He's calling us to a way of loving our enemies, to valuing relationships, to not being controlled by our stuff, and by trusting all of our life with God. In this text and in this bigger portion of the text, Jesus is calling us to a new way of seeing creation, a life that bends in a unique way. And what it comes down to as a community is there are two paths we can take. There's a path the community can take that's one of judgment, the one that says, I'm going to make the loopholes, I'm going to work around it, And the other path is one in which Jesus is calling us to, which is much harder, which is the path of love. And the thing we see is this, is that judgment, we can't get away from it. Judgment has been with us from the very beginning of time. When we open our Bibles to Genesis, we find that the 
the first humans are struggling with this dilemma of judgment. It is the serpent who says to Adam and Eve that all they have to do is take from the tree and from the tree they will receive the power to judge. In verse 5 of Genesis 3, it says, You will be like God, knowing good from evil. The power to judge is linked to being like God. And so from the very beginning, God's children have attempted to exchange God for ourselves. And we continue to live in this world, and a lot of us live out of this idea. We may not want to admit it, we try to ignore it, but we live out of this idea of trying to move God over and place ourselves in it. And it's a world which is defined by a certain set of rules, a world that pits you against me. It wants us to see each other through our faults, through our blemishes, and through our mistakes. The life of judgment will never be satisfied because it can never be satisfied. Um, And uh, there's so much deja vu here. I feel like I've done this sermon before. But but, uh, the story I tell on this is this. When we talk about this idea of satisfied, and my wife will get a chuckle out of it. But about a year ago, I started doing CrossFit. And the joke is, if you ever want to know someone who's doing CrossFit, they'll just tell you about CrossFit. So it's all good. But I started doing CrossFit. And because of that, I I began to realize I was much hungrier than I always thought. And so I, I would, I, I quit eating for a little while. And then all of a sudden I had this, my CrossFit coach would say, "You, you need to eat. And I realized that I was not eating and I needed to eat. And then when I started eating, I couldn't stop eating. Uh, and I was never satisfied. And so uh, yesterday, uh, we come back to San Angelo. We go to my favorite place to eat, which is I told the 8.40, 8.30 crowd, you don't get an opinion on if you think this place is great, uh, because I do. Uh, but we went to Henry's Mexican food restaurant. Yes. Amen, right? Uh, but we went there to eat. And, and so we ate there. Then my mom made chocolate cake at home. And I ate chocolate cake at home, which was awesome. Uh, and then I realized about 1030 as I'm laying down, I'm starving again. Like, I, I just, there are many times I feel like I just can't get enough to eat. Uh, and as Trey reminded us, that may not be because you're doing CrossFit. It just may be your way of life. But... Um, that's what it was. And that's what I feel like judgment is. It is something in which can never be satisfied. No matter what you try to do, it's always competing over and against someone else. We are constantly comparing our lives, our beliefs, our idea of sin against someone else. And this life of judgment places, always places someone above someone else. And it places me above you, and your whole job is to climb up to me. But the problem with your job of climbing up to me is I'm always going to be trying to climb a little bit higher than you so that I can stay in that position of authority. And we're just at times waiting. We're waiting for the one person to fall. Because the minute they make a mistake, or the minute they fall, they go to the very bottom And many times are completely cut off from us. 
And the lie in all of this, the lie, in, the lie that this kind of idea of judgment does to us, the system that is created is this, that we have the right to exclude anyone from relationship. In our desire to be holy or to set ourselves apart, we do the very thing that God calls us not to do. We separate ourselves from others. And so we hear of walls being talked about. Walls are erected. Boundaries are created and lines are drawn so that we can make sure those who don't meet our expectations can stay out. And all of this comes down to fear. Fear their sin will infect our lives. But the funny thing about all this, the funny thing about this talk, and as we try to work through uh, a text like Matthew 7, or we talk about judgment, is that any of this talk seems to have just a little sprinkling of self-righteousness in it. Just a little sprinkling of we're better than you. We call it holy, and we call it, we want to keep that out. But it always seems to have this idea that so we're better than you. The sin that you have is worse than the sin that I have. As if God says there is one sin minus blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, which I'm still working on what that really means. Uh, but blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, that seems to be the worst one. But other than that, we ourselves start delineating which sins are greater than others. So therefore, that person who commits that can't come in. And judgment continues to create a line that's drawn further and further, pushing more and more and more of those out to the margins. And what got to me with this was in Romans, in Romans 2, chapter 1, in verse 1 through 5, Paul says this, Therefore you have no excuse, whoever you are, when you judge others, for in passing judgment on another you condemn yourself, because you, the judge, are doing the very same things. You say, we know that God's judgment on those who do such things is in accordance with truth. Do you imagine, whoever you are, that when you judge those who do such things and yet do them yourselves, you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you despise the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience? Do you not realize that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? But by your hard and impotent heart, you're storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath, when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. To walk down the path of judgment is in a way to declare to God that you do not have the faith that God can do God's job. To walk down the path of judgment is in a way to declare to God that you do not have the faith that God can do God's job. Living a life of judgment is deciding you know better than God. It's our continued eating of the knowledge of the tree of fruit of good and evil. We figure that if God can't handle the problem, we can. And so communities within this system is only for the religious righteous, or at least those who have it completely figured out. Community in this system decides who is clean and who is unclean. And when we are doing this, we are deciding who is human and who is less than human. It reminds me of a story a few years back when Annalie, my oldest daughter, and I were at my work. She, it was, she was just before she went into kindergarten. 
and it was in the afternoon, and she was, um, she was in there with me just hanging out in my office, and all of a sudden I hear the door open, it shuts, and our, we have our office manager and our secretary in there, and I hear a man's voice, and I don't think anything about it. Um, and I think I told a little bit wrong the last one, but I actually walked out and saw the man, uh, talked to him for a couple minutes, and came back inside. Uh, Ann Lee asked me who he was, and I said, he's, he's really nobody, don't worry about it. And I went back to my computer, started doing some work. Annalie went back to her thing. And about five minutes later, I realized, Annalie got up and walked out, which was fine. She does that all the time. Uh, But, you know, as any good parent, I didn't really keep tabs of her. And about 10 minutes later, I realized that she's not there. And so I do another thing that all good parents do. Instead of looking for her, I just yelled her name. Uh, And so I'm, I'm yelling her name and realizing I'm not hearing anything come back. Uh, so all I'm thinking is, is this is going to be a fascinating explanation to my wife. Uh, but I, I walk out and I ask Becky where Annalie is. And Becky points to the library. What's in our, we have a library in our office and points to our library. And Annalie is in this room reading this book to this gentleman. Now, uh, what every good dad does, he freaks out in his own little way. And I looked up and I was like, what are you doing? Uh, and she's like, I'm, I'm reading him a book. Well, at this point, Annalie couldn't really read, but kind of read, so I'm fascinated by what book she's actually reading to this gentleman. But he's sitting next to her, and she's reading it, and everything looks good, and I, as a dad, stand there and wait until it's done. And it gets done, and we're walking back, and I, uh, I gave Annalie a little bit of a scolding. I was like, you don't do that. What are you doing? And I go, you just don't talk to, don't talk to strangers. And she looked at me and said, well, he's not a stranger, Dad. He was a friend of mine. I wanted to read him a book. Yeah, take that with you, what a five-year-old can teach you. But I think this is the value system that Jesus is calling us into. Not one based on competition or rules. It's a value system that does not see faults, blemishes, and sins as something to be excluded. The throne from above is not something for us to attain. Nor is the knowledge of good and evil something we desire. In fact, Jesus is calling us out of the system of judgment... And into the system of love. To pull out the plank out of our own eye so that we can see clearly. So that we can reorient our life to life. So that we can reorient our vision to the people around us. Love is the lens through which we see out of and work out of. Love will keep us from desiring to sit on the throne and see people below us. It is love which does not see clean and unclean. And it is love which allows us to bend and pick up those who have been called God forsaken in this world. The expectation of the community is to be a place that harbors and reconciles the refugees of the world. A place where not just certain types of people are welcome, but a place where the God forsaken can find rest and relationship. And I understand it is ideological for me to say this. I get in arguments with my friends at Grapevine all the time that, Russell, what you speak of is absolutely pie in the sky. But it it may be. But Jesus seems to be calling us to it in Matthew 7. Jesus seems to be looking at us and saying, give up judgment. Give up the stress of always trying to create a new system. Give up trying to keep people 
keep people away, give up the stress of causing relationships to be lost and severed. For Jesus, the separation of a relationship is the exact opposite of why he came. If Jesus' life, death, and resurrection is reconcile the whole world of creation, then why would a community claiming to be his followers create separation? But Russell, we have to have our standards, and I agree. And I'll go back to my easy answer of standards from when I was in youth ministry. Just say Jesus. We have our standard. And the standard is Jesus. And it seems to be Jesus who is calling us out of this rat race of comparing ourselves to somebody else. It seems to be Jesus who is calling us to die to our judgment and our designations of clean and unclean. We die to having to replace ourselves for God. Instead, we live in the freedom and hope of knowing that the God who will judge is the God who died for the salvation of the world. And I believe there's hope in that. And I think our hope is built upon this when it comes to relationships. Not a relationship built on criteria, but a relationship built on love. A love that says there's nothing you can ever do that will cause you to be an other for me. A relationship that says there's nothing that you can ever say. There's nothing that you can ever act towards me that will cause me to look at you as something other than friend. And I understand that's hard. And that gets real messy. But God seems to be calling us into the mess and not out of the mess. God seems to be calling us and saying, the community is going to be a messy place. And as I said in the first one, when I think about messy and we were talking about families being with families for the holidays, uh, our fa- we know it better than anything because our families can be a messy place. And yet we most of the time still deal with it. And it seems to be that God is calling us to be a place of messy relationships. So then, your journey in Christ, your journey towards Christ, you will never do alone. In fact, your journey in Christ and toward Christ will be done by the person sitting next to you, the person sitting in front of you, the person sitting behind you, and the whole gathered community. You don't do this alone in a community that is willing to bend itself in a new way. The system of love Jesus is calling us to breaks the cycle of competition. It breaks the walls and the barriers and the boundaries. And it invites brokenness. It invites blemishes. It invites faults with the hope that reconciliation is present and has entered into the world. And so that's where we stand here today. Matthew 7 calls us as a community to repentance. Matthew 7 calls us as an individual to stand up and say we're sorry, but as a community to stand up and ask for forgiveness in those places in ministry in which we have decided that exclusion was far better than inclusion, where our language was harsh. And that's been hard for us at Grapevine. We've done it too. I've had to do it in my life, which meant the very uncomfortable thing of going to people and saying, I'm sorry. As a church, it has meant us as leadership detecting those places that we as a church 
has create, have created a system of judgment instead of a system of love. But Matthew said, maybe why Matthew 7 is so uncomfortable. Because it calls the community to repentance. It calls us to acknowledge who we are. And so this year, y'all have decided to do Acts 2.42. Awesome. And I say good luck with that. But that Acts 2.42 is just this. You are declaring as one. You will be a place that bends toward people. You will be a community that bends toward life instead of judgment. There has been enough talk of walls being built. There has been enough talk of people saying, you're out. As Johnson Street, you're declaring something different. You're declaring a world that is yet to come, but a world that is coming. You're declaring to be a community that lives out of the system of judgment and into the system of love. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord shine his face upon you and give you rest. Amen.